0: church can you all hear me pretty well okay particularly I'm worried about this section can you guys hear me pretty well you're okay you're okay today we've had a little bit of uh, problems with one of the speakers and some guys were looking at it this week and so I want to check and make sure that we're amped up enough because what we're going to talk about this morning I think is important to all of us and I hope that we can all hear and participate. So welcome. Glad that you're at church this morning. Um excited to share this message with you. This is gonna wrap up the series that we've been doing this month. Uh, the Prepare series. We've had uh, first from John Dias, Prepare to Parent at the beginning of the month, talking about our opportunity to serve the community through the Active Parenting Ministry, uh, a course that is designed by the state of Arkansas uh, that people can go through whenever they need to to go through a class to try to get their children back, or uh, there's a lot of other reasons that people may wanna take a parenting course, uh, but the Active Parenting class is a great opportunity to serve our community. So John kicked off the month that way. And then uh, on Mother's Day, uh, you and I discussed together the idea of influence, and today we're going to have part two of the influence uh, message. And so part two uh, will take us a little further into what can you and I do as the church, how can we open up our imagination and our sense of wonder as we try to influence others, who will be leading the church now and in the future as we try to influence both the church and the community for the good of the kingdom. So influence, and in particular, on Mother's Day, we discussed this gift that moms seem to have. It seems to be innate Uh, to motherhood. Sometimes dads have it too, you know, it's not like it's just women that can do this, but you seem to see it so often in mom that they'll look at what the child produces or what the child has made and they just say, wow. So say with me one more time, you did this a couple weeks ago, but say wow. Wow! And they look at it and they can see so much more than just what's on the paper. They can see so much more than just the lyrics of the little song that the kid has written so far. They can imagine that someday my kid might be a brilliant artist. In fact, moms are so into this imagination and wonder that they usually think their kid already is. Like the world's greatest artist, right? Like my kid has, has written the world's greatest love song, you know, and that's how much they believe in them. So uh, we looked at Mary in week two and the way that Mary treasured in her heart the things said about Jesus and the things he did in his childhood and the way that influenced her at this critical moment. When Jesus didn't even know yet, he wasn't even ready yet, that he was supposed to start his ministry at the wedding feast in Cana. But God had used Mary to launch his ministry uh, at the wedding feast in Cana. And so in week three, just last week, we discussed prepare to launch. And Todd Miller shared with us about launching our teenagers into this world of adult life and all of the things that they have done in the youth ministry uh, these different beliefs and these, these uh, groundbreaking, or maybe I should say foundational truths about God and about what God wants to do through our teenagers as we celebrated their graduation and launched them into their young adulthood. And so today, we're going to wrap up the series uh, by continuing to talk about influence. I uh, hope that you're ready. This is a moment for us to consider what comes next. What, what is coming this summer What is coming this fall that you and I are going to do together, that this church is going to do together as we follow our shepherds, as we serve with each other in different ministry capacities, as we come to worship, are we expecting God to move? And I want you to think about the question. Don't just let it roll off this morning. I want you to ask yourself the question, are you expecting God to move? Think about it. Are you really expecting? This morning, expecting God to do something, transform something, mold something, shape something, because if you're coming to church on a week-in and week-out basis with anything less than an expectation that God could use today to change a life, you're missing it. There's no reason to show up and to sit here and to sing if you don't expect that the Spirit of God still changes lives. If you don't think that the ministries of the church can impact the community, can impact our attitude, can impact what we call communion of the saints, what we call contribution to society. But if you think, even just a little bit of the spark is still alive, and you think there could be more work left for the Bentonville Church of Christ, there could be more ministry left for me. I might not yet have tapped into the full potential of what God is calling me to do. Then you're preparing yourself to influence the people around you, to influence the world for the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. And so here's where we'll start today. And, and I'll tell you, we're going to start at the beginning with just a couple of scriptures. We've only got a few verses at the beginning. And then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the plans for this summer uh, as, as you know, small as they may be God can use them for great things And then at the end We're going to read a chapter of scripture together We're going to read one chapter together So I know that takes a few minutes of time And I just want you to be expecting that We're going to read Matthew 7 Before we're done today And it's going to be I mean it's the Sermon on the Mount It's Jesus' words It's brilliant, right? Not because I'm reading it Not because we're using it this morning But because Jesus put together this brilliant Uh, section of teaching that's really formative for us. So let's start on this point. Uh, When we began this uh, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about a sense of wonder, about a sense of wow. And this really encapsulates what we were saying, that we want to be people, the church wants to be people, who fan the imagination within those who come next. The church wants to be the kind of church that fans the imagination of the youth group to great ministry. We want to fan the imagination inside of the children's Bible classes where they believe they can do great things for the kingdom of God. And not only that they can be whatever they want to be in work and society, but that they can actually help transform the kingdom of God, that they can help bring people into the kingdom, that they can be evangelists that they can do ministry. We want to fan this imagination for new and creative ways to do the same things the church has always been commissioned to do, to love others, to spread the gospel, to teach the word, to be prepared in season and out of season, to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. All of those things they're going to have to do in new ways in the next generation because they'll be doing it in part On Twitter or whatever comes next and they'll be doing it in part using um, some of the ministries that we've built but other ministries that maybe they think of in these new creative ways we used to have things like you know the bus that would go and pick people up and they'd sing on the bus and they would bring people to church on this joy bus right well we don't really do that anymore we came up with some new ways We love to do small groups, and we love to have Bible classes, and we we have all these ways that we do ministry now, and they're going to come up with new ways. We want to fan this imagination inside of them, and you could say it this way as well. We want to fan the flames of wonder, and in particular, I like this image. You want to fan the flames of wonder within those who come next because, and we're going to see the Bible verse that shows this in a second, but this is why you want to fan these flames of wonder inside of them, because... For something to burn bright and hot and be visible for miles around, to have a, in the old days when a lighthouse had to have an actual flame inside of it, magnified by a lens, they needed to keep it bright and hot and for a signal fire or a flare to be seen, it needs fuel and it needs air. It needs fuel and it needs air. And the fuel is always, always has been, always will be. The word of God. And the things that he said for his church to do, that we commune together, that we practice baptism together, that we sing hymns together. Amen, church? I mean, are you, are you on board with this stuff? That we read scripture together. Amen? Isn't that the fuel for the flame of the church? All of those biblical teachings. But the air, right? The, the air that blows over it, that fans it into a flame. The spirit comes from you and I. As we look at them and we say, with the spirit God put in us, go for it, do it, build it, preach it, sing it. And so we fan into flame the wonder in those who come next. And in so many ways, you guys have all seen this and I've seen this, organizations are built to stifle and dowse too much fire. Organizations are built to keep things from turning into a wildfire, a dumpster fire. So the reason in in the corporate world that there's regulations and that there's HR and that there's procedures and red tape, all of those things in the corporate world is to keep every idea from turning into a wildfire and destroying all of the work of the organization. So wonder is like a match, but organizations are like a bucket of water. And that's on purpose. And they have to choose carefully which flames they fan and which ones they don't. And churches, you could call this fortunate or unfortunate, depending on your perspective, are much the same. Churches are built in a way that they keep things from getting way out of control. We don't want doctrine to get too screwy over on the left side. And we don't want doctrine to get too you know, hard-nosed on the right side. And so churches with our leadership structures, our programs, our ministries, in many ways, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, are like a bucket of water. And so we have to be careful that we're aware of that. We're well-prepared to put out fires, but are we prepared to fan into flame wonder? And here's the first scripture for us this morning, Joshua chapter three. I'd invite you to turn there in your own Bible Uh, Read along in whatever version you use, and this is supplied for you from the English Standard Version this morning. So, uh, Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Again, Joshua is asking the congregation, are you expecting God to do great things? Are you expecting God to move? And so, he, he says this to them when they're just about to cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land and the river is still flowing. And in fact, it even says in the text a little later on that the river is at flood stage. We have seen some flooding recently and you know that whenever even there's some water going across the road, what's the saying that they use? You don't wanna drive through it. What do you wanna do? Turn around or drown, right? Turn around, don't drown. So like don't go through the flooding waters. And so here's the Jordan flooding, flood stage and the people approach it. And Joshua says this to the people, consecrate yourselves. And this is why I picked the ESV, I love the word consecrate. In in some of the other versions it says purify yourselves, which is also a good translation, purify yourselves, because they would have done a ceremonial purification. We don't do very many ceremonial purifications anymore, so I love the word consecrate. Set yourself apart, be prepared, prepare yourselves for something. Consecrate yourselves, Joshua said, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Tomorrow God is going to move among you. And then the next day they approached the river at flood stage, and as the priests stepped their feet into the river Jordan, at the very edge where it's way out of its banks, it's way up in the land, further than it usually would be, the water. Recedes. It's all piled up upstream. And afterwards, they set they set this memorial of 12 stones, one for each tribe, to remember how God moved when he led them in to Canaan. Prepare yourselves, consecrate yourselves, Joshua said. And I want to ask us, the church, especially those of us that have gone to church for 20 years or more, especially those of us, Uh, About a year ago would have been when I... Uh, celebrated my 20th year of being baptized into Christ, so I'm about 21 years now into this journey of growing and learning and having, you know, having times where my excitement for God is lower and times when it's greater, and surviving those things and sticking with Jesus through it. And I can tell you that 20 years in, my expectation for the church is better and brighter than it ever was when I was five years in or 10 years in. I'm getting more excited, not less, about what the church can do, and I'm getting more excited, not less about the future of our town and our society with Christians in it, even with all the things that seem to be falling apart around us. Because God is slowly teaching me, and I think many of you who have been in the church 20, 30, 40 years know this, and you want this too, that when we consecrate ourselves, When we act as if he's going to move, when we come to church expecting God is going to do something on Sunday morning, I'm not just coming, you know, ready to sit and watch or whatever, but I am going to be in the game this morning. I want to serve this morning, that God surprises us by doing wonderful things. Amen, church? Amen. And so, especially those of us who have been around for a while, consecrate ourselves every time that we come together for worship. We set ourselves apart. Maybe you and your practices, you think about it some on Saturday night. You have a few moments of prayer and scripture when you think tomorrow we're gonna be in worship and I want to be ready. Maybe it's in the morning that you just, you know, because you're mature and because you're older, you've kind of learned this and you've gotten to a point where you know, my worst attitude moment of the week for years and years was in the car on the way to church. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of you would admit if it was a small enough group and a private enough session that your worst attitude moment of the week is often the five minutes before you arrive at church? And so some of you as you've aged and matured have learned this that on Sunday mornings you set yourself apart for a few minutes. That you have a moment with God where you consecrate yourself and you're ready for all of the family hullaboo, hullaboo and all of the craziness and all of the noise and all the things that'll go wrong and you're ready because you want to go to worship and you're expecting it. Now Jesus says something like this too. Jesus expects big things for the church. And so turn to John 14 and look at verse 12, John 14, 12, because Jesus as he's saying farewell to the apostles As he's saying uh, that he is commissioning them to take the next steps in this ministry, that he's commissioning them to be and to lead the church to the 11, he said this He said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. So take a moment and take this in. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. Now, what did Jesus not say? Jesus did not say, as it's sometimes misunderstood, that only the 11 would do great things. That only the 11 apostles would do greater things miraculously or whatever than Jesus. He does not say that. What Jesus says very literally in both the Greek and the English because they translated this really well is that anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done, and even greater works. Anyone who believes in me, that includes you and I, that includes the church of 2017. Now, what else did Jesus not say? Well, this gets a little, this gets maybe a little bit more into interpretation. What do we think he said? And I don't have time this morning to expound all of my reasons for saying my next statement, but I want you to listen to it carefully. This comes from... Um, a commentary that I was studying in preparation for this lesson, and I think that it captures very well what Jesus was saying and what he meant to say here. And this is what, uh, what I think he meant, that we are going to be unleashing on the world as the church the kind of things that his works were pointing to, the kind of things that he was revealing in his works. So it doesn't really matter if we make more wine than he did at the wedding of Cana or if we feed 6,000 people instead of 5,000. That's really not the point of the statement. The point of the statement is we are going to create a place in the world called the church where expectation is alive and where people are fed meaningful food, both spiritual and physical, a place where people can go and know I won't have to be hungry. We're going to create a place where prayer is honored instead of just talked about. Jesus had big expectations. So let me read you this quote from the commentary. The kind of works that Jesus is talking about is the actualization of the realities to which the works of Jesus point. The bestowal of blessings and the powers of the kingdom of God upon men and women which the death and resurrection of Jesus have let loose into the world In other words, the people called the church are going to transform what community means and they're going to transform what ministry means. They're going to transform what love means in even greater ways than what Jesus did in his humble three-year-long ministry as the Spirit empowers us to take the message to the ends of the earth. So here's the first takeaway from that. Jesus has a sense of wonder for the church in the Scripture. Jesus has a sense of wonder for the church. Wow, the church is going to unleash the kingdom of God on the world. And the world will never be the same. That's the first takeaway. And here's the second. John 14, 12 shows the gap. It illustrates the gap between how Jesus sees us, the church, and how we see us. John 14, 12 illustrates the gap, the distance between what Jesus expects and what he sees in us. What he believes about us, and what we often believe about ourselves as the church. So often, you would think that the church in the world had this expectation, like Eeyore, in, in, uh, you know, along with, uh, with Christopher Robin, saying, oh, you know, like, oh, bother. I just hope that we all make it to heaven. Or like Eeyore in his attitude in, in, this, in this, all of these stories where he always loses his tail and then he gets it back and he says, you know, they're like, aren't you glad? And he's like, yeah, I'm glad to have my tail back, but I suppose I'll lose it again. Or like Eeyore in all of these stories where Christopher Robin, with all this imagination, because Christopher Robin's playing with the toys, he's playing with the Tigger, and he's playing with Winnie the Pooh and, and, and Piglet too, and, and then he comes across Eeyore, and this is where Eeyore every time is like, well you know, I don't want to enjoy the sun too much. I suppose it'll rain tomorrow. And sometimes that's the picture the church has given to the world or the world has has received from the church or whatever, and we need to take control of that narrative again. We need to take control of that narrative and be the people who say, you know what, it's raining today, but it is going to sun tomorrow in God's good world. Amen, church? And so we need to believe with Jesus that the gap, The oh, I hope we make it to heaven is only the least of all of our hopes. But that the church not only is going to victoriously arrive with Jesus in eternity, but also in the meantime we're going to drop off blessing and awakening and wonder for the world around us every single day. Jesus believed this because in all of these passages on the screen before you, he told us what our mission was and what our purpose was. And in Matthew 7, 12, he says that we are to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And he believed that you could do it. He believed that you could look at other people with the kind of love, dignity, and, and the appropriate kind of judgment that you could look at them and you could treat them the way that you wish you would had been treated. Jesus, again, we call that the great uh, commandment, right? Well, here's the great commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. When Jesus believes that the church can go into all of the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, making disciples in the whole world, teaching them everything that he's commanded and that he'll be with them powerfully to the end of the age. Jesus believes that about you and about me. And how about Jesus in Acts chapter 1? I mean, come on, baby. Like, this is the good stuff. In Acts 1 8, he says to those apostles and those who will come after that the Holy Spirit will come on you with power, and you will be my witnesses beginning in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And guys, I am telling you, we might be getting close to the ends of the earth. The gospel has reached far into the earth, but we're still on the mission with Jesus today to get it all the way to the ends of the earth because there's pockets and places both in the far extremes of Korea and China and Russia and also in our backyard where the gospel is still penetrating and can with the help of the church. So what are we going to do about it? What are we all going to do about it? And before I show some things that are on the next couple of slides, I want you to remember this. We're going to... I can't say everything we're going to do, so we're going to still do all the really important things. We're going to meet for church and have communion and baptize people in the name of Jesus and read scripture and sing hymns and pray prayers and do all of those things in church and in our homes that we ought to be doing. We're going to keep having Bible classes and vacation Bible schools. We're going to keep having Green Valley Bible camps. We're going to keep going to Harding for Uplift or whatever other college we might visit. We're going to keep over and over and over ministering to our elderly, to our older, wiser, loved seniors, to our owls, and Serving them because all of those things transform and have transformative power for the church. But we're also going to do some of these things. In June, we're going to have a one month preaching series called The Rest of the Story. Many of you might remember the old radio show, The Rest of the Story, in which a a great character from history. Part of their early story would be unfolded before you. Uh, The radio host would tell you some things that were transformative in their early life and then at the end would stun you with the name of which famous person it was. And as we get into the rest of the story, we're going to be looking at sacred rest. At the point of Sabbath, and yes, spiritual Sabbath is still for Christians today. Maybe not in the way of the Mosaic Law. But it's meaningful that we work and leave it all on the field and then we rest and we completely rest. So many things in the world today, so many of the brokenness and the problems in the world can be attributed to the fact that people no longer rest. There's no sacred rest. And yet in the middle of that, We don't want to become lazy and idle. So how do we do all of that? Well, June, we're going to talk about it. And it's foundational to being a follower of Jesus, to know how to work hard and rest well. And then in July, we're going to talk about biblical hospitality, about making room for others. Because whether it's in our church or in your homes, there is something about the spiritual gift of receiving people. And being prepared for them. And believing that every guest that walks into the doors of these church on a Sunday morning is a gift from God. Do you believe that, church? Believing that everyone who gets up and who, who tries to come and visit us, even though they don't know us, they've taken a big step and they've been very courageous and we want to welcome them to visit with the church of God just like you would if you had a guest in your home. And the scriptures are replete with pleas for the church to show hospitality. It's all over the New Testament. And so in July, we're gonna look at this and it it's encouraging to me for this one reason alone. Hospitality is my lowest spiritual gift, my personal lowest spiritual gift. Every time I've taken a spiritual gifts assessment, I rank lowest on hospitality. And so I rely Heavily, Not just a little bit, but I rely heavily on Jenna. I rely heavily on people with hospitality, giftedness, on people who who recognize someone else's discomfort and says to them, let me sit with you. Let me walk you there. Let me show you where it's at because that is just not my primary giftedness. And we're gonna lean on each other as we expose and learn those things. And then in August, we're gonna talk about uncommon community, And and we're going to look at the communion meal and where it started in history and what it meant for the church and what it still means for us today and how it is radically equalizing amongst people who are so unequal in many other ways in life. And it's going to be a good thing for us to go through and I'm excited about it. But also uh, these activities that are coming at us. In June... We're gonna roll out to all of you. In fact, this starts next Sunday, so get ready. You'll get an email this week if you're a church member with more information. We're rolling out a new app called Alexio. It's gonna serve as our church database. It's our new behind-the-scenes infrastructure. And you go, well, okay, you know, why is that such a big deal? Or how does that ripple into the kingdom of God? Well, here's a couple of ways. We have wanted for a long time to have quality, children's check-in for our Bible classes to have safety for them where a mom and a dad knows where they've gone and the teacher knows who they belong to. But it's hard to do. It's hard to do because we've got classrooms in different places. And because we're not used to it, it's not part of our tradition. And so we have been studying with a team of people both the software and the hardware that we'll need to have a quality children's check-in. And this app, even though it will serve you as a database, is the first step towards rolling out children's check-in in in a way that will be accessible, that will be pretty easy, we hope, for everybody to figure out and check-in on on Sunday mornings in the Bible class. But it's going to do other things beyond that as well. It'll serve you in your small groups and it'll serve you in your Bible classes in ways that are even better than the current software that we use so that you can do ministry with the people that you're praying with and writing emails to and helping them show up at time for small group or Bible class. It's going to be a lot easier using this app that we roll out. And then, in the next week, because we're coming at you fast, the Home Point Center has prepared some summer at home resources. We want to put things in the hands of moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas that you can use with kids on summer break that might provide great spiritual conversations. So we're rolling that out in June. And in July, there's going to be new service opportunities for the church in hospitality along with what we're preaching. And then, of course, the check-in services for children will begin in July. These might seem like small things on the surface, but God uses pebbles to kill giants and he uses nails to save souls. Amen, church? And he'll use us as well. And so this is where I wanna leave you in our last couple of minutes. We're gonna read a passage of scripture. And as we read this, I want you to think about this phrase. In fact, I want you to say this phrase with me once or twice, ready? Be a student, not a critic. Be a student, not a critic. Let's try it again, I'll say it and then you say it. I'll say it first. Be a student, not a critic. Be a student, not a critic. There's a passage of Scripture that teaches us this this spiritual ability to look at someone else or to look at an opportunity and instead of tearing it down to say, what if it did change the kingdom? What if it did touch souls? What if it did reach into the places that we have been ineffective so far in reaching? And I'm going to read to you from Matthew 7 which is a well-known passage to us, but I want you to think about how Matthew 7 can be read with fresh eyes, with a fresh heart and an open mind. Here's all of the major sections in Matthew 7. Do not judge, and the, and the, and the stick in your eye, right? The sayings on judgment. Ask and seek and knock, the golden rule, do unto others. The narrow way, there's a teaching about the narrow way. A tree and its fruit, how you'll know them. I never knew you when Jesus says, I never knew you. You didn't do the works of my father. And the house that's built on the rock versus the one that's built on the sand. All very familiar. Yes, church? Yes. You've read them most of your life. And I want you to think about them this morning through the lens of being a student and not a critic. How Jesus is showing us that we need to learn to make judgments about people and about things that have imagination and wonder for what could be there. So Matthew 7 Uh, I'll ask you to read along in your Bibles, get them open, get your app open. I'm not going to have it on the screen. I'm going to read from this paper Bible this morning. So Matthew chapter 7, and here we go. Being a student and not a critic, judge not that ye be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. In other words, the amount of grace you give others is what you'll get back. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, be a student, not a critic. Before you go criticizing someone else's sawdust in their eye, study the situation. Think about the situation. Ask yourself why it's so hard to see what's going on and then remove the log from your own eye. Be a student, not only a critic. This doesn't mean we can't make decisions. It's an attitude process. Verse six, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Why? Because sometimes when you study the situation, you see that other people might not be prepared for all of these things. And so you do have to study and decide faithfully what's the right response in this situation. Be a student, not a critic. Verse seven, ask and it will be given to you. In other words, you will plead for God to give you more knowledge. Seek and you will find, just like a student seeks. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven... Give good things to those who ask him. So be a student, not a critic. Ask for the good things for God. Seek knowledge instead of just speaking without it. And then verse 12, the whole crux of the passage. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And what would you rather someone do about you and your potential future in the church of God? Criticize everything you've done so far or study you and look for the opportunities, and imagine what God could do through you. He says, enter by the narrow gate, a warning from Jesus. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. An important warning from Jesus. And then he illustrates it in these three final ways. Three ways that you can figure out, are you on the narrow path or the wide? The first one is this. You'll know it by its fruit. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. This is what you study. What are they producing for the kingdom of God? If there's fruit in it, then you know that they're on, the narrow, or they're on the narrow way. They're on the good way. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire, and then you'll recognize them by their fruit. So be a student, not a critic. The second way, Jesus says, how you know you're on the narrow way and not the wide one? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Are we doing the will of the Father? Are they doing the will of the Father is the key question. And you study it. Instead of criticizing, you study it and you look for. Where's the fruit? Where's the will of the Father? Is it there? And then just look at the third one with me in verse 24. Since we're out of time this morning, everyone who hears these words and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The question isn't whether we know if certain things will work. It's whether or not we have the fruit of God in us. Whether or not the will of the Father is being done through us. Whether or not the foundation of Christ is under us. And with those things, we can believe in each other that the church is still capable of more. If we can help you in any way today on your spiritual journey to baptize you into Christ or to pray with you, Our shepherds will be at the front and the back to receive you. And you can come as we stand and sing this song of invitation.